Well, the name Desmond Tutu is one that might be familiar to to most of you, uh, if not almost all of you. Uh, Desmond Tutu won uh, the Nobel Peace Prize back in the 1980s. He actually started gaining notoriety in South Africa in the 1970s. He felt it necessary at that time to become a political activist. And like a lot of people that become an activist, he was a polarizing figure for some. There were people on that held one uh, political view that didn't like him for this and people on the other side uh, that didn't like him as well. And so there were lots of people who could be critical of Desmond Tutu. But in 2001, uh, a journalist named Giles Brandeth was going to interview him in South Africa. And it was, uh, it was at a time when uh, Brandeth knew that this might be Desmond Tutu's last interview because he had been diagnosed sometime earlier uh, with cancer. And so he began to wonder... You know, when I, when I get to meet him face to face, what is he going to want to talk about? Uh, knowing that this might be his final interview. Is he going to be thinking about or, or wanting to discuss the amazing transformation in the politics of the country? The fact that, that Tutu was one of those that came out against apartheid and, and Tutu was one of those that, that was uh, one of the loudest voices that sang that Nelson Mandela should be released from prison. But no... Here is what he told Brandeth when they sat down in the same room together. Quote, if this is going to be my last interview, I am glad we are not going to talk about politics. Let us talk about prayer and adoration, about faith, hope, and forgiveness. These were the things that were the stuff of life according to Desmond Tutu. Talking today about goodness. We're at that point in the fruit of the Spirit. And one source that I looked at in preparing for today uh, linked goodness and kindness together in the same chapter. And while there is some overlap in kindness and goodness... I take issue with the fact that they are one in the same. We're looking at becoming more like Jesus. And if we're going to become more like Jesus, then goodness needs to be something that we have. You see, kindness, as we talked about last week, kindness is something that involves some kind of action. Kindness involves doing. If you were here last week, you remember we talked about that whether it's, it's a kind word that you encourage someone with or it is some deed that is your act of kindness. That when we are beneficiaries of kindness, someone has done something for us. Maybe it's bring a meal for us after we've had surgery or when we've had a death in the family. It, it might be, as I mentioned, that, that word of encouragement. I know so many times coming to church prior to being in ministry 
It wasn't necessarily what the preacher said on Sunday morning or what that Bible class teacher said on a Wednesday night that was the greatest blessing for showing up. Sometimes it was that brother and sister in Christ who had that brief conversation. They engaged me and for just a moment and were willing to extend some word of kindness, some word of encouragement in some way. And when they did that, that was the blessing. That's part of the blessing of being in a faith community, isn't it, church? But then when we think about goodness, goodness is different. Goodness can be uh, the reason that kindness is carried out, but goodness is about a state of being. Goodness is about someone's character. Goodness is about someone's ethics. You know, who that person is when nobody's watching, so to speak. And so when we look at goodness and we look at at kindness as we talked about last week, one thing that they do have in common is an air of generosity. And I want us to look at that this morning because I believe the God we serve, the God that is good, is a generous God. Oh, how many times do I talk to somebody and I say, hey, how are you doing? And they respond with, better than I deserve. And I know many of you have probably heard someone say that. And it's, it's, I would say that Dave Ramsey being on the airwaves has had probably had a lot to do with that. The number of times that people would call in his show over the years and say, Dave, how you doing today? And he'd say, you know, better than I deserve after he says, you know, hey, we've got you know, Greg from Hohenwald on the line. Greg, how can we help you today? How you doing, Dave? Better than I deserve. But a lot of people have taken that to heart because they think to themselves, yeah, how many days do I wake up in the morning and I am better than I deserve? If we really own, uh, if we really own our failures, if we really own our shortcomings... Not just what we've done, but even what, not even, but especially what we've thought. You know, what's in our heart? Then we know that at the end of the day, we, we typically don't get what we deserve, do we, church? Because God is good. God is gracious. God is generous. And in Matthew 20, we see an example of that generosity. Beginning with verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, He went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. 
He asked them, Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Now, we hear that parable that Jesus is teaching there. And if we put ourselves in the place of those workers, I remember... My father, I've told this a few times in the past, uh, being a farmer in Franklin County, Tennessee, and being someone who, uh, as I just get a kick out of, he was probably the last guy uh, to convert his hay fields uh, to round bales. And so what's the difference in round bales and, and those much smaller square bales, church? Uh, those square bales have to be hauled, so to speak. Uh, it's much more labor intensive. And if I ask for a show of hands, I know I'm not the only one who worked in, in a hay field at some point growing up. And if you ever did that work, you know that especially when it was about time for that second cutting of the season, when it's probably in about the hottest part of the summer, and you learn the hard way, you know, you don't show up in shorts and a t-shirt for that job, do you? No, you, that hay is going to eat you alive. No, no, you, you show up and you've got jeans on and you've got your boots on. And, and yes, even if it's July the 20th or whatever, uh, I would wear a flannel shirt, a long sleeve flannel shirt uh, to protect my arms from what that hay would do to them. And uh, not the biggest guy in the group, not the strongest guy in the group. And uh, so I would typically end up in the top of the barn. Uh, because, you know, the guy on the wagon is the one that has to sling those 50 to 60 pound bales the farthest. And so the guy in the top of the barn, he's stacking. And so didn't have to, didn't have to move it quite as far. But then, of course, I had that tin roof right above my head. And what's it doing in that summer heat? It is just popping and popping and popping. And yes, I was born with the luxury of hay fever. 
And so there I am in that space that is the as the bales keep flying up into that corner of the barn, the space between where I'm stacking and that roof. And it's just getting more and more confined and there's just less and less air. And oh, when that last bale is finally put in place and I could come down out of that hole and get out of that barn and boy, that, that 95 degree heat in the shade never seems so cool and delightful. And so my grandfather, like most men I'm sure that had workers in, in a field like that, day laborers, would pay them at the end of the day. And I've told the story before that my grandfather would pull my brother aside and say, Now son, he called us son. He'd say, Now son, he said, let me pay you last. He said, I'm going to pay you more because you're a better worker than the rest of them. And yes, I was never the recipient of that speech, right? <laughs> I was not a better worker than the rest of them. Uh, my big brother Jeff, uh, he, was, he was the worker. He was the strong guy. Uh, he was the guy that could have played defensive tackle if he'd have wanted to. Uh, uh, I was the trombone player in the family. <laughs> but there he was paying those workers. And I always think it's interesting that the landowner here starts with those last workers first. If he had started with the people he hired first and they got their denarius and went on their way, he might have avoided any kind of conflict. I'm not so sure he didn't want to let them all know his generosity. And of course, you can imagine being one of those folks who's been there since early in the morning. And you did endure the worst part of the day. You endured all the loads of putting the hay in that barn. And then all of a sudden, here come those folks sort of at the very last. And they handled very lit, very little of what was being done in the field. And they get a denarius. And I can see where people would start thinking to themselves, wait a second, he promised me a denarius. But surely to goodness, surely to goodness, if, if that guy that showed up at the very end got a day's wages, surely me, who was there the whole time, is going to get more. Ooh, I wonder what that bonus is going to look like. You ever count a chicken before it hatched? You never know what it's like to say, Ooh, I wonder what I got coming to me. And then you get what you would have gotten without the bonus. And so there they are, saying, Hey man, what gives? Now, it's important to understand, church, a denarius was considered in their culture a day's wage. What was a day's wage? It was what the peasant class needed to survive. It was what they needed to just be able to put food on the table and keep a roof over their head. Knowing that, 
it speaks to the generosity of the owner of the vineyard. Because the owner of the vineyard, who keeps going out and finding more workers, we have no evidence that he didn't hire enough to begin with. But he goes out and sees more. Nine o'clock, noon, three o'clock, just keeps going out. And then late in the day, hey, why are you folks standing here? Because no one's bothered to hire us. It gives us the impression that they were willing to work, doesn't it, church? They weren't trying to skirt the work. They wanted the day's wage because they needed the day's wage. Unfortunately, no one had hired them. And so then at the end of the day, knowing that everybody needs that denarius to survive for the day, to provide for the day, that's what he decides to give them. Our God is a generous God, church. He's going to give us what we need. Nothing in God's Word says He's going to put us in the lap of luxury. Nothing in God's Word says that we're going to have a tremendous amount of excess on this side of glory. Some brothers and sisters in Christ do. Some don't. As a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I like to focus more on the other side of glory. Because then we're all going to have it better than we could ever imagine. I know that in my heart of hearts. But what this parable, I think, is calling us to understand is that if we are going to be Christ-like, if we are going to be godly people, then God calls us to be people that don't give the minimum. God calls us to be people that don't try to skirt paying somebody. God calls us to be people who are generous. If you recall last week, we talked about that point in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, if someone asks you to go one mile, go with them how far, church? Two. Go the extra mile. That kind of extreme kindness or that kind of unexpected generosity that might cause people to wonder what's their motive? Why did they do what they do? And church, the world is full of people who view relationships as transactions. I just finished phase one counseling with somebody at Hope Center here in Hohenwald who, uh, uh, that, that's the 45-day period, six or so weeks of intensive counseling and Bible study when they're on the path to addiction recovery. And the guy that, that, I'm, that I'm just finished counseling, uh, he brought up, he owned the fact 
that he viewed everybody in his life for a while as a transaction. I remember sitting in the office of Van Robarts, uh, the, the preaching minister I used to work with in Kentucky, and he, was, he brought up somebody that had lived in one of our, our temporary apartments for a while. And he said, you know, he said, she got up every morning with the idea that, you know, everybody that she met, it was with the idea of what can they do for me. And we've all known people like that, I would imagine. And maybe at times, if we're willing to admit it, we've been that person. Maybe not on an ongoing basis, but at least at times. I hate to admit it, but in my past, I have more than once that I have done something for somebody, positioning myself for what they might do reciprocating later. I'm grateful that as a child of God, I've moved past that person. I praise God for that. And I say that it's only because Christ reigns in me that I didn't become one of those people. But be that kind of person, church, where your kindness and your generosity is to the point that, yeah, people might question the motive at some point. But then over time, they say, you know, he or she just really is that generous, that kind, that good, that loving of a person. Because as the saying goes, time does tell, doesn't it? When people see that, wow, they, they really don't expect anything in return. They're, they're not doing that because they want something from me. They're doing that. Because they really are that good of a person. Goodness is part of who they are. And church, that's the kind of people that the gospel is calling us to be. Arthur Burns was an American economist. Uh, For most of the 1970s, uh, he served as chairman of the United States Federal Reserve. And uh, during this time, he participated in a prayer group that met regularly at the White House. It included uh, politicians and senior officials from all across the political spectrum. And uh, Barnes was one of the, the group's Jewish members. And one, I said Barnes, Burns, was one of the group's Jewish members. And one week, or one meeting, rather, he was asked to close the group out in prayer. And this is what he prayed. Lord, I pray that you would bring Jews to know Jesus Christ. I pray that you would bring Muslims to know Jesus Christ. Finally, Lord, I pray that you would bring Christians to know Jesus Christ. Amen. Final word this morning will be from God's Word. From Psalm 27. 
verse 13. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. If you are with us this morning, I hope that you are someone who can say, God is good. But maybe your walk with the Lord has not yet begun. And we invite you to take advantage of this invitation to be immersed in the waters of baptism and become a new creation. If you're with us this morning and you 